0: working together on this uh, time to talk about Thanksgiving. Uh, So we'll work it in with the time that we have together and the dinner and everything like that. So I'll spread these out over the next few weeks as we meet together instead of going straight through like I normally would. People pass in our life. Our nation, uh, you can go on the Internet and look at the people who have passed away this last year, Uh, some of them significant in the sense that they have done great things, others uh, you know them because they're actors or singers, and, but maybe you feel the loss that, oh, he, he passed away. Oh, she passed away. That's sad. I see on Facebook many times uh, in the year of people who I attended high school with. I graduated in 1976, and I begin to see now more and more of those people I graduated with passing away. And so they'll list on our Facebook page another one is gone. You know, when we mourn the loss of someone who has achieved greatness or, by their own right, consider their achievements, often we look back and inwardly look at our life. I remember those people I went to school with and what they did. I see those people who have passed away this last year, and I think about them, and it makes us think about ourselves. Maybe you deal with someone close, and so you're dealing with grief or maybe shock, or anger, or denial, and sometimes a sense of great loss. But within us, I think it beckons something. It stirs something. When someone passes away, and when we lose someone close to us, or someone who we emulated or thought highly of, it makes us look at our life to see where we are. We wrestle with significance. Have I done something with my life? Is it what it needs to be? Have I acted in a way that is God-honoring? Have I done things that push forward the gospel as opposed of my own agenda? Have I done that? Has my life been significant? I think we wrestle with that issue, and we ask ourselves these questions. What is most important in life? Or... How do I fully live fully so that I am ready to die? And with that in mind, will I leave a legacy that benefits those who I leave behind? Or maybe most importantly, how will what I build in this life carry into my eternal life? Because that's really the most significant thing, isn't it? All this will pass away. But how have I prepared myself for what is to come and the legacy that I leave behind. I think as humans, there's a, a desire, a desire for worth, a desire for significance. I think it's part of our DNA. I think that idea to be and have significance carries through it a weight, and that weight for the Christian is goodness. Am I a good person? Have I done good things? Have I benefited the world? Have I benefited those who are near me? Uh, Here, have I benefited the church, my brothers and sisters in Christ? And those that I love, how have I left the world for them? The world at large, and maybe my small world that I interact with people, my immediate family and, and my church family. How will I leave the world to them? What have I done? is significant so what makes our life significant what is it that makes what you've done worthwhile Uh, we know that work and play and and things uh, that the little tribe that we belong to however big that tribe is and in my home you know we could have thanksgiving dinner around a card table it was me my mom and my dad but in teresa's family it took the whole house how large is your tribe? How many people do you affect? What about your investments? The, the, those can be financial or in other people. Or even your service that you've lived your life. What is that that is significant? How do you define it? I, I want to try to help you define significance and what the underlying values and practices Should be, I think, from the scripture. Not my own opinion, but from what the word of God says. And how then can I be significant and you be significant from here on out if maybe we've not been as much? The Bible says that the practice of gratitude gives us a life here and after of significance. By being thankful, I bless the life in you here and I bless the life hereafter, and what comes in my reward. I think gratitude uh, is when we appreciate life's goodness. It it does what the world says compels us to pay it forward. You know that story. You've heard that before. Uh, Sometimes we see it in things like somebody goes to Starbucks and and they say, I'm going to pay for the person behind me. Here's $10 or here's $20. And then you've seen those days where everybody behind does that. They pay it forward. and, And they've had 30 or 40 or 50 cars where people did that because they were trying to be significant and to be good to the people around them. I think it creates within us a deep sense of happiness, to be grateful. I think it creates satisfaction. I think it enriches all of our relationships, whatever they may be, and it nurtures a foundation for new friendships, maybe as you meet people, neighbors, coworkers, new family members, and it underlines, underlies the very foundation of what we think of human society. I think it's the transaction, it's the money, so to speak, that we pay each other in gratitude. And being grateful to you does something to you from me and me to you. What is gratitude, number one? What is it? Uh, If we think about gratitude, so what is it? I think gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace That means benefits we do not deserve and goodness bestowed in our lives. Look at that again. Gratitude is the practice of actively remembering and expressing the grace, the benefits we do not deserve, and goodness bestowed in our lives. With that in mind, I think we have an innate desire to show gratitude for the goodness and grace that we receive. It's built into us. Early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we witness one of the first acts of gratitude through the life of Noah. Read along with me as we look at act, or, or Genesis chapter 8, verses 15 through 20. Then God said, Noah, come out from the ark, and you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground so that they multiply on the earth, and be fruitful and increase in the number on it So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his son's wives. All the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after the other. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. After being in the ark for approximately a full year, Noah walks off the boat. And then he builds an altar to God. Noah's first recorded act after leaving the ark was an act of gratitude, an act of thanksgiving. When he listened, when when we listen, I think, to the story and we read it, it is an act of worship. But it's easy to read over that. I mean, the big story was the boat, right? The big story was all the animals on the boat. We think about that. We imagine what that would be like, and Noah gets off, and he, he gets on, and he does a, an act of worship, and we pass over that to see what's going to happen next, but I don't think we should. I think we need to, to closely read it. It is not a simple practice. I think we lose the significance of what Noah did because we come to worship every week, multiple times. And we overlook this act that Noah did the first time he stepped off the boat. I think when we do a little more digging, we see how extraordinary, how extravagant this act of thanksgiving was. When we look at this act of worship, first... I think the fact that Noah spent approximately 356 days on the ark as he walks off the plank, Noah makes a conscious decision that the very first thing he will do is to say thank you to God. God did not direct him to do it. Do you see that? He told him to get off the boat, but he didn't say offer me this and that. He said, get off the boat and multiply, be fruitful. But the very first thing that Noah did was to thank God. I think you need to realize that at this time in the ancient world, in the Near Eastern civilization, God had not given commandments or statutes regarding worship. There were none. This was the beginning. There were no organized religions like you and I think of religion and faith practices. Those were still some thousand years off. No act of worship had been done. No offering had been made. No one in his family had been the only followers of God amongst a society that the Bible talks as heathen, Genesis 6, 5 through 6. Therefore, it was a singular practice To Noah and his family, nobody else was doing anything like this. It was not a communal practice. It wasn't what everybody else was doing. And here, an offering of sacrifice of thanksgiving was not a social, economic thing. It's not what they did to transact business with their gods. In ancient Near East pagan worship, when a sacrifice was made, it was made to appease the God, to make the God happy, to to make them receive some good fortune for that God. It was not in the sense of an act of worship or an act of thanksgiving. Noah did not offer a sacrifice out of a need for good fortune. I want to placate God, make him happy. He offered it. Out of a heart of gratitude, of thanksgiving. I think his natural inclination in leaving the ginormous wooden box was to say thank you. Can you imagine with me for a moment that and how it happened? Here is Noah. He's been on the boat for almost a year on a dark ship. It was drenched, it was stench filled, it was dirty, it was messy. Every animal on the earth, during the time, he'd been tossed around all over the world, bouncing with winds and rain and waves, and the ark finally banks itself on a mountaintop, and you walk out to the fresh air, and the first thing, what do you think you would do? The first thing Noah did is say, thank you. He didn't say, man, I'm glad that's over with. Boy, that was a horrible trip. I told them I'd pull this over if they didn't shut up. <laughs> well, what does he do? He gets down as in essence on his knees and says, thank you. Thank you, God. How does God respond to this act of gratitude? Well, God, knowing Noah's heart, understood that Noah leaving the ship and offering the sacrifice was more than Sacrifice. If you have your Bible, open to Genesis 8, 21 through 9. I read these words. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again. Will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood? And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Blessing Noah was not a response of anything that Noah had earned. It's not why God did it. He, he didn't do it because he followed God's building code. Good job, Noah, on the boat. It wasn't a reward for being there or listening. Noah received a blessing because he chose to worship, which pleased the Lord, because his heart was thankful and Noah's emotions overflowed into an act of gratitude an offering, an offering to God. Eucharista. It's a word you probably have not heard very often. You may remember that some religions use the word to talk about uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist some people refer to in their religions. And they get that word from the Bible. The English meaning for for gratitude stems from the Latin word gratia, which means to give thanks. The Bible takes the word gratia One definition further, in the Bible, gratitude is the word Eucharista, which stems from the word charis or the word grace in the New Testament. Charis, grace, is a favor or an act of goodwill and loving kindness for which we do not deserve. Eucharista, that word, is an offering of thanks in the Bible, an offering of thanks, Out of the abundance that God's grace has shown us, and and we have delighted in his pleasure, his grace, and so we're thankful. Eucharista is not a horizontal practice. It's vertical. It's with God. I thank God for what he's done, and it's reciprocal. The more I do it, it creates a cycle. I thank God. I show my thanksgiving in him, and he is pleased with my thanksgiving. Not because of how I work, but because of my heart, I turn toward him. The Bible tells us that God does not desire for sacrifice, for sacrifice's sake. He didn't bless him because he sacrificed. Okay, because you've offered this to me, I'm going to bless you. He blessed him because of the abundance of his heart in gratitude and thanksgiving. You can read Psalm 51, which talks about an outward expression of our hearts as opposed to what we see on a altar. God doesn't even need the offering he's said in other places in the Bible. Matter of fact, sometimes he got upset with people because it stunk in his, his nostrils. Why? Because the heart was not in it. It was perfunctory. They did it just because they thought they should. It all comes down to the heart. By choosing to practice gratitude, we choose the grace that God has freely offered us and offer it freely back to him and to others. That's what it is. I think it's important to note that the gratitude we're talking about is a thank you utterance. That's what that word Eucharist is talking about. It's a sentiment of thanksgiving, an offering of thankfulness. I read a story. It was uh, October 2020. And it was in Atlantic City, and Officer Eric Nuttall was responding to a man who was threatening to kill himself by jumping off a high building. When the officers arrived at the scene, the man was muttering to himself, no one loves me, no one cares for me if I die, no one will miss me. It was obvious that the man was full of pain. And other officers had been talking to him, but it was not making the situation any better. He got closer and closer to the edge and was ready to jump. As the officer looked at the person, and saw the pain that was happening, he thought in his mind at that moment, I love this man. I care for this man. And so what he did is to tell him that. Don't jump. I love you. You are loved. You're not alone. And someone cares for you. I care for you. I love you. If you go on the internet and look this situation up, you may still be able to find the recording, the actual recording that they have, you know, with the video and and the tape, and you can hear the audio of what he said to him. I love you. Surrounding officers testified that it brought the man out of his trance of despair, and the officer continued to tell the stranger on the ledge that he loved him over and over again. And finally, He took the officer's arm, sobbing, and Eric grabbed him and embraced him and continued to repeat the words, I love you, I love you. When asked later about the experience, he said, I just felt I loved him, even though I didn't know him, and it broke my heart to see him feel so unloved because I was loved. Because I was loved, I knew I loved him. Why? Because he's part of this human race that desperately needs to know the love of God. And I think it's that grace that God's poured out that shows the expression of love for us and for the people around us. When we receive God's grace in our lives, I think we naturally want to express it. Just part of who we are. It just overflows from us. We don't, don't always know when it will come out or how to use it or where it will go. But I think once grace is received, it desires to be expressed. It wants to tell somebody, thank you. Number three, grace, the grace of God itself. I think it's easy to recognize God's grace in our lives uh, when our needs are met, uh, we, we see God acting and we know he's doing something on our behalf and it's, it's there to be thankful, especially when we haven't merited it. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. I think children are a perfect example of this, trying to learn that. I, I think as parents, uh, we see it as our greatest task to raise polite children, right? We raise our kids and, and, and we say to them, What are you supposed to say? Thank you. And so we teach them and we train them. We say to our children, say thank you. Maybe if someone at the bakery gives them a free cookie, what do you say? Thank you. We teach them to do that. I think as parents, one of the most embarrassing things is when we have a child that is ungrateful and shows disrespect. It hurts us inside to see that they haven't gotten the point to be grateful to be respectful, and to say thank you. However, when it comes to some of the smaller graces in our life, or better put, the more subtle grace in life, because we do not necessarily feel them at the moment, we often fail to recognize God's abundant grace throughout our day. I think the litmus test For actively identifying God's grace in our lives is in and of itself our practice of gratitude. How thankful we are. It shows that we get it. We understand that God is active in our life, and we say thank you. What are those subtle ways? Let me give you a few. When does God hear me offer charis, grace, thank you, in my life? Is it only at the dinner table when I'm in a rush to fill my belly? I know it's easy. It's quite easy to just go quickly. Some people don't even stop. How does my response to His grace sound to God? How do I sound to God when I say thank you? Uh, is it com- contemplative? Do I, I think about it? Am I, am I rolling it over in my mind? How do, I, how do I thank God for what He's done? Is it intentional? Is it a reflection on the goodness that God has placed in my life and the kindness he's given to me? Or do I repeat the same four words or (laughs) lines when I go to bed? I mean, you do that. Do I say the same thing over and over again? Or have I thought about what God actually has done in my life? Do I take the time to consider the moments of God's goodness and kindness throughout my day? Do I stop throughout my day and recognize God's been good to me? When I get up in the morning, do I say something like, Marty, thank God for another morning and his new mercies. Do do I recognize I woke up and I want to thank God for that. Do I give people around me the opportunity to share a warm memory and something good in their lives? Do I listen to the people around me and let them express gratitude to God as well? Or do I hurry over them and try to just say what I want to say? When I get to watch and think with me, either your children or your grandchildren play a game, make a goal or a basket or a touchdown, do I recognize the grace of God that I'm here at this game? I'm here. I get to enjoy this. Am I grateful? Am I thankful for the money that I have to participate in that game and anything else? Am I grateful for the physicality to walk up there and sit down or to drive there to sit through that game and watch? You see how subtle it is of the small things that happen throughout our life that we seem to gloss over. We forget to be thankful for those things. But I think when we slow down and when we take time to recognize charis, grace, in our lives as believers, I think we will desire that word Eucharista, which is an an offering of thanks. When I slow down and look around and, and recognize what I have, what he's given me, isn't the response, like Noah, to be thankful for what he's given me? God's grace is all around us, and it is. I think intrinsically we want to show gratitude. I think we are expected to do so. It's part of who we are. Lastly, number four, gratitude. The practice of remembering God's grace. It's what we've said today, gratitude. I I think there's a a ritual tucked in the middle of the Passover. We recently did the Lord's Supper. Uh, we talked about the Passover quickly as we think about what that happened. But in the middle of it, you may have passed over the original story. But it's clear and it's present within everything that the Jewish nation has done throughout remembering the Passover and what happened. They're forced to leave Egypt and the ritual the practices of the Passover began with the Moses telling them something that God had said. Think about this, after directing the Israelites and the events of the Passover night, Moses then informs the Israelites that they will be practicing a feast, a Passover feast, as a ritual for all the generations to come. He told them, this is not just for tonight, this will be forever in the life of the Jew. To think about that. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 24 through 27, you must keep this commandment as a law for you and your descendants from now on. Do this when you go to the land the Lord has promised you to give. When your children ask you, why are we doing these things, you will say. This is the Passover sacrifice to honor the Lord. When we were in Egypt, the Lord passed over the houses of Israel. And when he killed the Egyptians, he saved our homes. Then the people bowed down and worshiped the Lord. Now you may be wondering what this passage has to do with gratitude or grace. Hang with me here. God knows that humans can be forgetful. Can I get an amen? (laughs) We are, and they were. And so he makes them nationally repeat this Activity, so that they would not repeat the mistakes they constantly made. Remember where you came from and why you got here and how you got here and who did it for you. Remember God's grace. Passover. Because they forget lessons from their past. God knew that if they did not set up this future practice to help them, they would forget their salvation from Egypt spoke with a family member this last week and they talked about going to the graveside and, and feeling uncomfortable because people had spent a lot of time talking about all the old people and what they did and talked about the graves and everything. You know people are making millions maybe even billions of dollars off 23 Me. Why? Because people want to know where they came from. We, we pay companies online to look at our history and figure out who our descendants were, where they came from, how they got here, who they were, and yet we can't seem to talk with one another to find out our history. Not so in the nation Israel. Their lack of remembrance would lead to a lack of gratitude. I think that's why some of our society is so uncaring and has a lack of patience with each other. They forgot where they came from and who they were. They forgot how they got here. They forgot the sacrifice of the people before them. Their great-grandparents, their grandparents, their parents, the people who around them let them be who they were when they grew up, they've forgotten all of that and think they are a, a group alone. I brought myself here. Is that true? No. We've forgotten where we came from. They forgot. God knew that if they didn't remember, their hearts would grow hard. And so he made them remember. He didn't want them to wind up as slaves again. He wanted them to remember him and what he did for them. So when the children asked, why do we practice this? He told them what to say. I think the Passover was more than just a ritual. It was a practice of gratitude. It was a thank you. Practicing gratitude and receiving And expressing God's grace, I think, is a foundation for what we talked about before, significance. As I'm grateful, I discover my place in God's kingdom. Look at all he did for me. I'm thankful that he knit me together in my mother's womb. When no one else knew what I would be, God knew. Shouldn't I be grateful? He constructed me. As I have gone through life and have illnesses and come out on the other side and still have illnesses, I'm grateful God has let me live. As I have lived through the things I have gone through, people have said to me these words, God must have a plan for you. Uh, it becomes an act of gratitude for me to recognize that and for them to say it why they recognize god has done something it's an act of worship gratitude i think is the the virtue fluid if you will that moves all the gifts of the spirit when we think of things like love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness thankfulness and self-control i think they're motivated out of gratitude i want to do those things because i'm thankful I want to be that person because I'm thankful. The philosopher Sirio uh, was grateful, he said. He said the words that the mother of all the remaining virtues is gratitude. Another philosopher, Seneca, said he believed that ungratefulness ranked with thieves, rapists, and adulterers. The Bible says something similar. When we do not recognize who God is and the sins that we commit, it's all the same. To not thank God and recognize him is the same as murder and rape. And How can that be? Because we don't recognize where we came from and who God is. In uh, a journal that did a study, it was called The Science of Gratitude 2018, researchers found that we are biologically connected in our roots to want to be thankful. It appears to be embedded in our lives. Structure in our brains, child development, the culture. It's even inherent in in animals. When you look at chimpanzees and fish and birds and vampire bats, they all seem to have a sense of gratitude. It's called reciprocal altruism. Reciprocal altruism is, I do something for you... When you can't do anything for me, you see it when one animal will help pull another animal out of danger or feed that animal when it might cost them themselves. Not only do animals do that, people do that. I think our desire is to give grace, to practice gratitude. And I think it surpasses anything that we could do with our lives in that we are grateful to God and the people around us. Think back with me. As the officer talked to the gentleman off the ledge, something deeply ingrained in his human nature inspired him to share what he felt in his own life with the man. Remember, I am loved, I love you. Isn't that the story of the gospel? Because I am loved, I love others. Because God is good to me, I want to be good to you. So we're back to those questions again. What is most important in life? How do I full live fully so that I am ready to die? Will I leave a legacy that benefits those who I leave behind? And how will what I build in this life carry into my eternal life? The answer to those questions is not a response of our doing. Noah understood it was the obedience that led to receiving the grace, but it did not create the grace. The grace had been given him. God saved them out of his grace, not because of what Noah had done. Grace is a gift that piggybacks, get this, on nothing. It's just grace. The grace of God he's given you. With that in mind, To live a meaningful life, we must begin by accepting what is freely given and offer that grace back to God and others by practicing gratitude. Freely you have received what? Freely give. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you for the act of gratitude. We thank you for the story of Noah and how we see that no one motivating him He steps out of that stench-filled boat and gives thanks. We live a life, Father, that is surrounded by unpleasant things. And yet, in the middle of it is your grace. The day that we live, the health that we have, whatever that health is, the people around us, the history that we've had, all of that is your grace. You have led us to this moment. Help us in this month of thanksgiving to be grateful for the grace you have given us and then to return it to you and others around us. We pray in your holy name, amen.